Well, I want to welcome you. Thank you for being with us this morning. If you have your Bible, you can open it to Romans chapter 3. Um, we're actually, um, I'm going to, we're going to kind of be all over Romans. We're not going to read through the passage as we have been doing, but I'm going to be referencing some things there in Romans 3 and kind of all over the book of Romans. Um, before I dive in, I want to give a shout out to Cornelius Plantiga. You don't know him, but he wrote a book on sin that I'm stealing a whole lot of things from. So shout out to Corny. Um, there was there was a movie a hundred years ago um, that I saw. I don't uh, know if you've seen it. Um, probably not, but it was called Grand Canyon. Steve Martin was in it. Yeah, okay. Some of the older people are going, yeah, I saw that. Um, <laughs> Steve Martin was in it. And um, I think Steve Martin played the character of this wealthy uh, attorney who there's this scene in the movie. There's so many scenes in that movie that are so great. But there was this scene in that movie where, um, and we can relate to this in L.A., where Steve Martin, his character is in traffic. And it's bumper to bumper, and he's just, you know, growing more frustrated. And so he does what we do, right? So often he pulls off, he's going to take surface streets. So even if it takes longer, you're moving, right? You have this sense of, I'm moving. And so he pulls out of the traffic, he takes these surface streets, and he ends up in these um, neighborhoods where it's becoming more desolate and abandoned, and his car stalls. Well, fortunately, he's able to uh, call a tow truck, but as he's standing by the car and waiting for the tow truck guy to come, some thugs show up, right? And they begin to threaten him with bodily harm, and they want to, you know, rob him and all these things. Well, as they're doing this, fortunately for him, the tow truck driver does show up, and then they begin to threaten the tow truck guy. And I love this scene. The tow truck guy takes the leader of these young thugs to the side and has a little conversation with him. And he says this. He says, man, the world ain't supposed to work like this. I mean, maybe you don't know that yet. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without having to ask you if I can that dude is supposed to be able to wait with his car without you ripping him off. Everything is supposed to be different than it is. Right? The world ain't supposed to work like this. With all of its beauty and all of its wonder, there is something tragically wrong with our world. And it's not just the big things. Certainly, the horrific things of genocide, racism, sexism, abuse, the inability, it seems, that we have to have civil discourse anymore, the fear-mongering, the hate. But it's also the everyday things, right? It's the everyday things that aren't as they're supposed to be. I'm not supposed to be how I am, right? Sure, I'm good. Every human bears the image of God. But there is something wrong. It's amazing to me that in zero to five minutes, I can go from listening to worship music, 
writing a encouraging note to a friend, hugging a puppy, kissing a baby, to such irritation and impatience with that person in India who is dealing with my cable issue that I can't seem <laughs> to resolve. I can't tell you how many times last week I said to different bankers, different phone people, I am so sorry. I don't know why I just acted like that towards you. <laughs> Please forgive me. I can go from joy and peace and patience so quickly to envy, self-pity, self-righteousness. Right. The world ain't supposed to be like this. I'm not supposed to be like this. The prophets of the Old Testament write and prophesy of a day when God will put all things right. A restoration of Eden, that first and perfect temple where men and women dwelt with God. It was his dwelling place where men and women and creation lived at peace with God, in, at peace with one another, where relationships weren't broken, where there was peace in all of creation, in the earth, in the galaxies. The prophets longed for shalom. We call it peace. But the Bible means so much more when it uses the word shalom. It means universal flourishing. It means wholeness. It means delight. The prophet spoke of this day, this shalom, and they spoke of deserts flowering, of mountains running with wine, of lambs lying down with lions. They wrote and they prophesied of a state in which weeping would cease, when people could sleep and not have to have weapons nearby. Humans knit together in brotherhood and sisterhood. Humans looking to God, walking with God, delighting in God, depending upon God. This is shalom. It's the way things ought to be. But something went horribly wrong in Eden, right? We talked about it last week. Because God in his sovereignty and in his love gave us choice. C.S. Lewis said this, if a thing is free to be good, it is also free to be bad. And free will is what made evil possible. And so, we have to talk about evil. We have to talk about sin, right? Plantiga said this, he said, God hates sin not just because it violates God's law, and it does, but because it violates shalom. It breaks the peace. It interferes with the way things are supposed to be. Sin violates what is supposed to be. And I would say it violates who we're supposed to be. And so I want to 
say four things about sin. The first is this, and we find it in Romans 3. The first is this, sin is universal. We're not alone. It's horrible news, but it's good news, I guess, that we're not alone. Everyone lives under sin. Romans 3, 9, Paul says this, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all, for we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. You see, he was writing, as you know, Paul has been writing to this church in Rome that is made up of Jews and Gentiles, and in this section, he's kind of addressing those Jews who are, who are hoping that there's some advantage. Isn't it interesting in our religious world, we're always looking for a leg up, we're always looking for an advantage, we're always looking for that thing that kind of puts us spiritually ahead. And so they had been looking for their advantage. They were saying things like, well, we've been circumcised. The Gentiles haven't been circumcised. You know that. We've been circumcised. Isn't that an advantage to us? We've been given the law. Isn't that an advantage to us? It's as if for us, and we do this, we say things like this. I've been baptized. I was baptized. I was baptized. I go to church. People tell me all the time. You know, I've been going to church all my life. As if that's it. That's, that's the thing. That's the, oh, 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 well then do as you please. You have been going to church all your life. That is awesome. I read my Bible every day. And Paul says, no. This is not, this is not an advantage, advantage, not at all. If you are looking to these things for your right standing with God, if you are looking for your baptism to be why you're right with God, if you're looking for your church attendance to be why you're right with God, if you're looking for your good deeds to be why you're right with God, Paul says, not at all, and then he goes into verse 10. And I love this, he starts to, now he's quoting their Old Testament scripture, right? Because they're like, well, you know, we've been given the law. And he's like, well, as a matter of fact, why don't I quote from your book? Our book, he was a Jew too. And he says this, there is no one righteous. There's no one right with God. No, not even one. There's no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. I remember when I first read this line when I was an early uh, Christian, right, right probably a month within I, when I became a Christian, uh, no one tells you to read Romans, but for some reason I was reading Romans. And I remember coming across this, and I'm thinking, that's not right. I seek God. I'm sitting here reading Romans because I seek God. But you know what? Paul's getting underneath the surface. Because here's the reality. He's already told us this in Romans. We've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. We're not seeking the true God. We're not seeking the majestic God, the holy God, the perfect God, the righteous God, the God who is bigger, the God who is in control, the God who is above us. What we're seeking is we're seeking blessing. 
right? We're seeking a God of our own making. We're seeking a God who looks a lot like us, thinks a lot like us, would do things the way we would do things. We seek spirituality because we want a sense of transcendence, but we don't want accountability. We seek a therapy God, right? A God who will reduce our insecurities, take away our anxieties, remove our fears and our weaknesses, or we don't like weaknesses, but our gaps, right? We don't seek a savior. We don't think we need a savior. We don't think we need help. We've got it going on. We've been baptized. We go to church. We read the Bible. We even sometimes ask Alexa to play worship music. We don't need a savior. We want help, but we don't want radical transformation. You see, sin is averse to our real need, and it will distract us with smaller needs. Sin is universal. For all have sinned, Paul will say in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned, right? Second thing I want us to know about sin is it's universal, but it's also sin is a condition, not just an action or an attitude. You see, the scripture does describe sin as actions, things that we do, but a lot of times, even almost more often, it describes sin as an attitude, a, a way that we think, a way that we approach life, a way that we approach things. It might be hidden, it might be internal, but it is still sin. But even more than those actions and those attitudes, sin is a condition. Verse 9 says this, Paul says, we're all under the power of sin. He doesn't just say we all sin. We all do bad things. We have, all have bad attitudes. He says, no, we are under the power of sin. We are under the power of something that is controlling us. And it is a, it is a condition. Tim Keller, in his commentary, says this. He says, that language of to be under is a legal term. He says, we are citizens of sin. We are under the authority of sin. Sin is our master. The first time the word sin shows up in the Bible, it's in Genesis, and, it's, and this is how it's used. Sin is crouching at, the door, at your door, and its desire, the word there, it's translated different ways in different versions, but the word literally means, and its desire is to control you. Its desire is to be your master. Its desire is to be your president, your ruler, your king. To be under is a legal term. We are citizens of sin. Paul says it's as if we have a spiritual passport which shows our legal citizenship. It's either stamped under sin or under grace. Don't run too quickly to the grace. We're not going to run too quickly because we've got to talk about sin. It's either stamped under sin or under grace. Paul says we're all under sin. It doesn't mean that every person is as sinful as every other person. 
but it means our legal condition is the same. We're all lost, and there is no degree of lostness. The wages of sin is death. There's no degrees of dead, right? Keller uses this example in his commentary that I've heard, you've probably heard. He says it's as if three people are trying to swim from Hawaii to Japan. And th the first one is a, doesn't even know how to swim, right? So they jump off the dock and they drown. Boom. They're down. They're dead. The next one is, you know, a decent swimmer. Pretty good. Okay, but not great. So they swim maybe 60 feet, maybe 60 yards, and it's kind of hard to swim in the ocean. And they sink down to the bottom, right? They drown. Now, the third one is an Olympic swimmer, right? And that one takes off, and they're swimming, and they're swimming strongly because they're Olympian. They swim 30 miles, start to struggle a little bit at mile 40, start to sink a bit, and then mile 50, they drown. Is one more drowned than the other? No. All are drowned. All are dead. Keller says this, in the same way, the religious person may trust in morality. They may trust in their baptism. They may trust in their church going. They may trust in their good deeds, right? And the pagan or the irreligious person indulges in their sensuality, not just sexual things, but just they indulge in whatever they want. If whatever feels good, they do it. But neither comes close to a righteous heart. They are equally lost, equally condemned to perish. You guys, we know this, right? Because even, even my good deeds are mixed up with horrible motives. I empty the dishwasher and I want you to applaud me. I do something kind but there's my ego involved in that and my pride. I do something for you, but it's really actually at the end of it, it there's a selfish gain for me. When I was early in my journey with Jesus, I had an older woman who discipled me, and this was so helpful. I remember her helping me understand the difference between sin and sins. You see... We all are under sin. It's a condition, singular. And because we are under sin, because of the condition, we commit sins. Okay? See, um, what is helpful is that, I mean, I, I don't have time to unpack original sin and inherited sin and all that kind of stuff. I could send you a book. But um, we aren't sinners because we commit sins, we commit sins because we are in sin and under sin. Sin has power over us. It rules us. It is the condition that we are in, right? So sin is universal. Sin is a condition. And third, sin distorts our identity. This could be an entire talk right here. But sin distorts our identity of what we were made for. 
Paul says in Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and have fallen short of what they were made for. We were made for glory. We were made to share God's glory. We were made to live in God's worth and value. We were made to reflect that. Yes, we still have the image of God, but it's a broken image. It's a distorted image, right? Colossians, Paul says, all things were created by God, for God. We belong to God. He is our purpose. He is our reason. And yet we live so far, walking in a different direction, inviting him in just when we need a blessing, just when we need some protection. But we got this, God. We're on our own. And that's sin. Sin is universal. Sin is a condition. Sin distorts our identity. And then the fourth thing. Sin results in slavery and death. Sin results in slavery and death. Romans 6. Paul says, when you were slaves to sin... Because that's what happens, but remember, the sin is waiting, it's crouching at your door to have control of you, and when you, um, when you are under sin, you are controlled by sin, you are a slave to sin, it is your master, right? That's why the book of Exodus in the Old Testament is one big just giant gospel message. They were enslaved in Egypt, and they had to be rescued, They had to be brought out. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. You're either going to be controlled by righteousness or you're going to be controlled by sin. So when you were a slave to sin, you were free from from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time? I love this line. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. For the wages of sin is death. What we deserve, the right and just penalty for sin of moving away from God, of making ourselves our own God, of rebelling towards God. The wage, what we deserve, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, there's good news, but we're not going to talk about the good news. We got to stay here, friends. Remember, God said to Adam, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And what did he do? He ate of the tree. He rebelled against God's word, God's ownership of him, God's mastering of him, God's leadership of him. And immediately, immediately, there was spiritual death. And then there was physical death. But immediately we see a spiritual death, which is a discord between God and humans. Sin always results in discord, in broken relationship. Immediately we see the humans and God now relating, not God is relating the same to them, but they are relating different to him. They are hiding. They are lying. They are blaming And then comes the physical death in chapter 5 of Genesis. Because you could read Genesis and you think, well, look at that. They didn't die. Oh, they died spiritually. 
and then they died physically because it, the genealogy in chapter 5 of Genesis is a unique one, and I think it's the point that the author is making is that, oh, they died because that genealogy in chapter 5 goes, and he died, 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 and he died. Sin has resulted in death. And friends, this is why sin cannot be managed. We try to do sin management. Remember the spreadsheet of a few weeks ago, right? If we could just get our good deeds to outweigh our bad deeds, it'll all balance out in the end and we'll be okay. If I could just get rid, if I could just suck it up, we, we do this kind of, our, some people do their sin management is just willpower. If I, I'm just, I'm not gonna do that again. I'm not gonna do that again. I'm not gonna do that again. I won't think that way again. I won't think that way again. Ugh. And it's why sin can't be managed and sin can't just be forgiven. Hear this. Sin can't just be forgiven. That's what we have a problem with sometimes. Well, why doesn't God just, why does he have to go to the cross? Why do I have a big deal about it? Why is it such a big deal? I can forgive my friend. Why can't God forget, just forgive me? Friends, when you are a slave Forgiveness isn't enough. You need to be rescued. You need to be set free. We are slaves to sin. We are owned by sin. We are under the power of sin. We need a Savior. And when you are dead, you don't just need to be forgiven, you need a miracle. You need a supernatural intervention of God. You need a miraculous act that you could never trump up, that you could never earn, that you could never, you're dead. You're dead. So we're going to talk about the rescue and the miracle next week. But I don't want to skim over this. If we reduce sin to no big deal, Everyone does it. I sin. God forgives. We're all doing our jobs. Then you see the gift of our right standing with God. The miracle. The rescue. It will not seize us. It will not captivate our hearts and our minds. There will be no awe and wonder. There will be nothing that propels us to a glorious surrender, a delightful, delightful walk with God. Because here's what happens, friends. If we don't sit with the sin, we will yawn at the cross. And that's what we do. We yawn. Oh, yeah. Jesus died for my sins. I know. I've heard it a hundred times. Oh, yeah. We're bored with the most spectacular message, with the most spectacular truth, with the most spectacular moment in all of history. We are bored by it. Because it doesn't seem to be that big a deal. And if we're in this disposition, we will stay stuck there. So I want to sit for a moment with the destructiveness of sin, that it destroys all of creation. We have a hurricane 
coming is a result of sin. It is not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way God designed his creation. Sin doesn't just impact us, it impacts all of creation. It creates chaos. It's why we can't even think straight. It affects our mind. That's why Paul will later say we need to renew our mind. It's why we can't even really understand the depths and the gravity of sin. It's why we're bored by the cross. Because our sin has created chaos. It's created foolishness, the scripture says. It has broken every relationship that we're in. Some relationships are awesome, but they're still a little slightly broken, right? I love that the Bible doesn't just tell us about sin, it shows us sin. I love that the Bible gives us pictures. I need pictures sometimes to help us understand the condition of sin. And the Bible says this, sin is a lost sheep. It's a lost sheep that wanders from the security of its shepherd. Sin is blindness. It can't see right. It's blinded by holiness and content in the darkness. Sin is deafness. It can't hear right. Sin can't hear truth. It's enticed by lies. Right. Right. Sin leads a prodigal son to squander his riches and end up in the muddy pigsty just hoping to share some of the food with the pigs. Sin leads a self-righteous older brother to bitterness, envy, and self-pity that keeps him from the music and the food and the celebration inside the banquet hall, right? Sin keeps us from freedom to celebrate others. It keeps us from the awe and the wonder. Where is sin keeping you from what you're made for? Where is sin keeping you from being united with God through Christ? Where is sin keeping you from the justice and the security and the peace that God has for you? Are you holding on to the condition of sin because it's all you know? You see, what we know is safe, right? Change is hard. It feels safer sometimes to live in our sin to allow, than to allow God to do an unknown work because he does different works in different people. And we don't know what he's gonna do in us. He does, we don't know what he's gonna do through us. We don't know what he's gonna invite us to. What are you holding on to because you think if you let go, you'll lose your life? When the scripture says, you'll find your life, even in death. If your death is in Christ, oh, you have found your life. What are you holding on to? Many years ago, there was a Tsunami in Thailand, you might remember that. It was devastating, destructive, killed thousands. 
I was fascinated by it because I had actually been in Thailand just months before, and a good friend of mine was supposed to be uh, where I had been um, on an island that was devastated by the tsunami. Um, she was supposed to be there and canceled her trip um, just weeks before. She was supposed to be there when the tsunami hit. So I read everything about it. And People Magazine did a great biopic and just had stories of different people's stories who survived that tsunami. And there was one that I held on to. I put it in my illustration file because it was so profound. It was a guy named Dwayne, and it was, each person was just writing their story. A guy named Dwayne, he uh, was from Hawaii. He was a marine biologist, and he was on vacation in Kolok, Thailand. And this is what he wrote. He said, I heard the classic train rumbling noise, and then I saw the wave. It was large, but I, it, it wasn't large, but I knew what it was. He's a marine biologist. It came in at about 30 feet high and went over the bungalow. The walls started collapsing. I snuck out the side but was submerged and churning. I can hold my breath two or three minutes, but I was panicking. After a minute or so, I really thought it was the end. I was spinning, being smashed into things. At the end of my capacity, I suddenly came up for air. When the lower half of a mannequin floated by, I held on to it. Two women, a Thai and a German, were trapped in a mass of floating debris. I was hyperventilating and tired, but I got to the Thai woman who kept saying she couldn't swim. I gave her the mannequin and said I'd help her to shore, but she freaked out, and she held on to a piece of a roof that she had been clinging to. I had to leave her. She wouldn't let go. She held on to what she knew. She'd been holding on to that roof, and she couldn't let go to grab on to life, to grab on to what would save her. What are you holding on to? How is sin keeping you from life? I want us to sit in this. I want you to sit in it for a week. I don't want you to run too quickly to grace. I don't want you to run too quickly to the good news. I want you to sit with the bad news. I want us to sit with sin. That we would not be bored by the cross. That the cross would take on a new meaning in our lives, our minds, our hearts. that the cross would disrupt us in all of the good ways. That we would find ourselves reaching out for it, not out of a religious duty, not out of, oh yeah, I've heard the verses, I read the Bible, oh. but because we've sat in our sin for just a little while to know how beautiful that Savior is. Oh, Father, would you be with us as we sit in the condition that we all have, the condition of sin, of being under its power, under its control. Oh, God, I pray 
I pray, would you bring revival to us and to our city and would you begin with us? And all great revival begins with an accounting of sin, with an authentic repentance, with a stunned acceptance of your grace. Oh, would that be true for us? Would you reach deep into us by your spirit, Lord? Change us forever. Change our minds. Change our hearts. Change our affections. Change our reality, God. Oh, would the gospel not just be a concept, not just be words on a page, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, would it alter our life forever. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.